Hello there and welcome to Defiance. I'm your host Peter McCormack and this week we are very busy working away on our binge series Everyone Loves Britney which will be dropping next week. So for today's show we've gone back in the archives and I've pulled out a very early interview I did back in March 2018 and this is a very personal story to me and still one of my favourite interviews I've ever done. I went out to Austin and interviewed Lynn Albrecht, the mother of Ross Albrecht. Now, Ross is a man who was sentenced to a double life sentence, plus 40 years for running the Silk Road website. The Silk Road was a dark net marketplace based on libertarian principles where you could buy and sell almost anything. With February making it the 10-year anniversary of the launch of the website, I thought it would be a good opportunity to share this interview again as I really think that Ross's story needs to be heard and I also think it needs to be heard from the point of view of his mother Lynn who has worked tirelessly ever since he was incarcerated to try and secure his freedom. I have actually gone on to interview Lynn a couple more times including episode 16 of Defiance so please do go and check them out if you find this story interesting. Also please do go and check out the free Ross website but I really felt like with this 10 year anniversary happening it would be a good chance for people to hear this interview because I think many of you probably have not heard it and of all the interviews I've done with Lynn this is the most important and the most detailed one. Now before we do get into the interview I do need to thank my sponsors. So first it's Kraken, the very best place for buying and selling Bitcoin. Kraken is consistently rated the most secure cryptocurrency exchange and they put the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do go and check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which this interview comes from. It was actually the 10th interview I ever did. And we're up to episode, I think something like 315 now. And Kraken also sponsors that podcast. Now, Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any control in party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out of government fuckery, and as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. You can find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, I would like to introduce my newest sponsor to Defiance, which is BlockFi. If bank interest rates are so low at the moment, there needs to be a new way of doing things, and BlockFi allows just that. With a BlockFi interest account, you can earn up to 8.6% APY on cryptocurrency deposits with interest paid monthly into your account and no minimum balance. BlockFi has a loan account which allows you to borrow money at rates as low as 4.5% so you can keep control of your Bitcoin whilst freeing up some cash. Not only that, BlockFi has a credit card coming which allows you to earn a 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every purchase. Accounts are easy to set up, flexible and secure. BlockFi really is the future of finance. So if you want to find out more, head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, if you enjoy Defiance and you want to support the show, please do leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe. Follow the show on social media and share it out with your friends and family. If you do have any questions about this show, you can reach out to me. My email address is peter at defiance.news. And as I said, I've done a couple of other interviews with Lynn. So if you want to go and dig those out, there's one on Defiance and then there's another one on what Bitcoin did. Okay, I hope you enjoy the show and I will see you all very soon. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Uh, how are you today? I'm good. It's great to meet you. Ross's birthday? It sure is. Um, did He's you, 34. You, 34 today. Do you, mm-hmm. Will you get a chance to speak to him? I hope so. I can't call him. 
he, but he will probably call uh, us, you know. What does he get in terms of phone calls? Does he allow one a day? Or? He's allowed 300 minutes a month. Right. And when that runs out, he can't call. Um, and if they're on lockdown, which they have been quite a bit in this particular prison because it's very violent there, um, there's no phone calls. How so, well. Yeah. And how often do you get to see Ross? Uh, when I'm uh, in Colorado, I can see him three days a week for five hours a day. Okay. It's a good long visit. It's great. We um, get to really hang out and, you know, talk about the case, talk about all of this, that stuff. But we can also hang out and just be with each other and play cards sometimes or, you know, just in a relaxed way because we have lots of time, you know, be able to just just be with each other. And that's that's fairly new. It wasn't true in New York. And how has he taken to prison and has he managed to build friendships and avoid violent situations? Are, are the other inmates good to him? Yeah, well, you know, Ross is a very um, likable guy and that applies in prison or outside prison. So he is, he's very sweet. He's very nice. And he um, helps, like in New York, he led classes. I mean, four inmates, there's a hundred letters on our website yeah. to, from people who know Ross talking about him. Four of those are inmates who wrote about, one of them wrote about how he helped them get into college, uh, a remote course, uh, GED. He helped them get their high school diploma. So these hundred letters um, are very indicative of who Ross really is, people who actually know him and and talk about his character and his, you know, his peacefulness and his compassion and his generosity. And um, in prison, that's what happens. And he does have friends. I'm, uh, there's a guy actually in there named Tony DeJohn who has a life sentence for marijuana, totally peaceful guy. No violence in his sentence, just like with Ross's. There's no violence in full, his Full sentence. life? He got life for marijuana, selling marijuana 15 years ago. He's done 15 years. He's got a life sentence. Wow. Outrageous. And the federal prison is in Colorado where it's legal. It's insane. <sighs> and um, so he's got some friends. He also spends a lot of time in this particular facility in the law library working on his case. And he's gotten to know other people in there doing that. And generally, uh, he has not been singled out or you know harassed or anything. However... There's always a danger of a riot in a prison like this. It's mm -hmm. full of violent gangs and violent people. It's where they put their most violent people as short of the supermax and where everybody's in solitary. And um, in a riot, you can be collateral damage. You can just be walking down the hall and, you know, be attacked. It's a, it's a whole other level. And um, I, I'm worried about it, frankly. It concerns me. Gosh. Um... Mm -hmm. So your life must be very different now from what it was <laughs> yeah. five years. Like, yeah. look, I've got very a lot different. of questions. Sure. And, and like when we spoke before uh, we started recording, mm -hmm. it is also personal to me uh, because the Silk Grove paved the way for other websites. And when my mother was sick with cancer, we mm -hmm. wanted to buy her something that was illegal. Um, so it is a personal story. And I've got a lot of questions. But I just want to go, I want to go back to October 2013. Mm -hmm. Ross is arrested. Mm -hmm. Where, you were in Costa Rica? No, uh, Rica? I, my husband and I were in Austin. You were in Austin? Uh -huh. when, when we lived. You, when were you first aware? What, what happened? Can you talk me through yeah, the day? Yeah, um, I was going out to run some errands and I walked by my husband's office and he was sitting there like this, you know, like with his head in his hands. I'm like, what happened? What's wrong? And he's like, Ross has been arrested. And I'm like, what? I mean, it was the last thing I expected to hear about Ross. 
Uh, and uh, then suddenly we, I get on the phone. He's a, he, a Reuters reporter had called us. I'm not sure how they got our number, but in any case, she was very nice uh, and she filled us in what was going on. I'm like, what? And then suddenly we're getting, the phone's ringing off the hook. The um, emails are pouring in. People, journalists are driving by our house. I turn on the TV, Ross. I'm like, this is insanity. I can't even believe it. It was just, it was like a huge wave came in. It was just carrying us. And we've been trying to you know, swim and surf it as much as possible since. It's, it was a tsunami that has hit our family and hasn't really let up. I mean, you know, it goes through different phases, but it's always dominating our, our existence, mainly, too, because we haven't given up. We're not going to give up and let Ross die in that place. It's just wrong. He's, he, he, he's such a good person. He's not a de- threat to anyone. He's not a danger to anyone. And even... Even if, and I don't believe this, but even if everything they convicted him for is is accurate, um, he doesn't. You don't give a double life sentence plus forty years to someone who where there's no violence involved, they're not a danger, they have no criminal record. It's just outrageous. It must have been very strange because it what he was arrested for wasn't a small crime. It was quite a big thing to get your head around. Were you even aware of the existence of the Silk Road as a website? No. I've never was on it or heard about it or no. So at the time, what what was it, you know, how often were you talking to Ross? What was he, what was your belief he was doing in life? Well, he was, he was, um, he had gone on to, um, I don't know when, I don't know the time frame exactly, but he was, uh, developing a Bitcoin exchange. He was very interested in Bitcoin. He had told me about Bitcoin and how excited he was about it. And I actually asked him, should I get some? And he goes, no, mom, it's too volatile. <laughs> I'm like, that was not good advice. That was not good advice. <laughs> anyway, it must have been a couple uh, of dollars at that point. Yeah, it was actually even less. I think it was less than a dollar. But anyway, I'm not sure exactly, but it was cheap, <laughs> very cheap. <laughs> but um, in any case, um, he, a friend of his had asked him to come out to California because he was doing some, a startup and he wanted Ross involved and they were friends and he went out to get involved with that and other things so and what was your personal opinion on on your stance on drugs prior to this because i know you you must Mm -hmm. have changed during the process because you've been Mm -hmm. um exposed to a lot more information now i've definitely changed about the whole criminal justice system i was not um my my stand on drugs um I don't know. I never, I actually knew people who were arrested and and put in jail for marijuana with a mandatory minimum, which seemed to me unconstitutional, seemed like it was up to a judge to decide these things. Um, I didn't agree with putting people in prison for that. Um, I I, I didn't have a real strong, I wasn't real. the the drug war was not on my radar, Mm -hmm. frankly, that much. Um, I just, didn't think about it that much. My kids didn't have drug problems. I, I, it wasn't an issue that was foremost in my mind. Um, I do totally understand the argument that we own our bodies and I don't understand where the authority is in the, in the U S government for making drugs illegal when they made, uh, uh, alcohol illegal. They had to pass a, an amendment to the constitution mm-hmm. and then another amendment to make it legal again. Cause of course, prohibition never works. And they didn't do that with drugs. It's it's just sort of they decided. And that's what bothers me is the um, overreach and the persecution of people. But I wasn't really, I didn't think about it that much. 
But I really want people, especially maybe conservative people who are against drugs, and so they're for the drug war, to have them understand. It's, you can be against drugs, and I don't recommend drugs. I, I really don't. I, I think it's probably a bad idea. Don't do them, okay? You know, but probably shouldn't smoke cigarettes either. Probably shouldn't drink too much. I know people who have killed themselves with alcohol, literally. So, uh, but they decided to do that, you know, and- um, But it's a freedom of choice. Yes, I, I do see it as a freedom of choice. And um, I don't feel like the government has the authority. Now, maybe they want to pass an amendment and then maybe they have the authority, but they don't have the authority right now. And besides the fact that it doesn't work, it's the drug war has been going on for 45 years, more now, over a trillion dollars of taxpayer money, and it hasn't uh, stopped anyone from using drugs. So I point to people who, I'm, you don't have to be for drugs to be against the drug war. It's not really about drugs. It's about government expansion and money because it feeds this, this uh, mass incarceration in the United States. Most people, more than half, are in there for drug offenses. Yeah. Did I read somewhere that the U.S. has 25% of the world's prison population? Yep. And 5% of the world's population. The biggest incarcerator in the world is our country. And it's just it's a national disgrace. And it's really against the principles of our country. And probably a false economy. Well, yes. In that... The trillion spent on the drug war mm-hmm. could be spent on other things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Or yeah. maybe to maybe to bring down our debt a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if it were doing something that actually proves results, you could have an argument about it. But I don't, since it doesn't. And not to mention the money involved in incarcerating people for these excessive sentences. It's just, it's really, I'm shocked. I was shocked. I didn't really know about all of this before I was propelled into it. Mm-hmm. And the more I've seen... <clears throat> the more um, alarming it is about how we're losing our freedoms on so many fronts. But it's just right in your face at the prison. So after Ross's arrest, when did you first get to talk to him? He was able to call. Um, we didn't find out till the day after he was arrested. And then he was able to call, I think, the next day. And he, he said, I'm sorry to be a bother. I'm like, well, that's the understatement of the year. <laughs> But uh, anyway, um, um, but uh, yeah, he uh, was able to call and uh, he was in San Francisco, I guess in a county jail or something. And his, you know, ever since anybody has contact with Ross, including his, his public defender there, Brandon LeBlanc, who's really, was really a good guy. He's like, Ross is a great guy. I've never had anyone so, you know, easy and pleasant. And, you know, he was calm. He, you know, he deals with a lot of people who, he says he's a good soul, is how he put it. He said, Ross, he shouldn't, this shouldn't be happening to him. That was right in the beginning. And I, we've had guards and other staff at the prison come up to us and say the same thing. He shouldn't be in here. He doesn't belong in here. At least he should be in a lower security prison. Do you believe he committed a crime? I don't know what Ross did. He's, he, um, you mean by creating the, the site? Mm-hmm. Do you believe that uh, was a crime? Um. Uh, I don't really feel um, like I am qualified to say. I, uh, it depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about creating a website that allowed people to sell illegal things, I guess that's a crime. I don't really, I haven't seen the law. I think what I'm getting at is- I mean, is, uh, Amazon did too. Yeah, of course. So and, Craigslist well, did too. So, I mean, is it a crime? I don't, I don't know the exact crime it would be. See, 
I watched the Kim.com documentary on the flight over, and he's facing extradition, possible life sentence in prison. Meanwhile, he's not an American. I know. And he's not in America. Because he created... But this happens all the time. But he created a website where people can can share files and some of them shared movies. Google creates... Life sentence for that? I think potentially, yeah. Um, I see Google created a website where you can find all kinds of illegal things. People, people share... People kill people on uh, Facebook Live. People share... Uh, Google had jihadist activity on yep. Amazon. A woman is set suing Amazon because her daughter bought cyanide on Amazon and killed herself with it. And Twitter has <laughs> jihadi groups spreading content. Uh, child pornography has been found on Facebook. Yeah, not on Silk Road, by the way. Not on Silk Road. Um, I think the point I was getting, trying to get to is, do you believe Ross shouldn't be in prison at all or do you believe Ross should have had a lighter sentence? Uh Actually, at this point, he's done almost five years. If you really are talking about correctional, mm-hmm. uh, I am—I would bet my life that Ross could come out of there now and never break the law again. He's not a slow learner. He's a fast learner. Um, and I believe that he could actually contribute to society. So if the Department of Corrections is indeed correctional and not punitive, I think it would be just fine to let Ross out now. Um, I would question people who have violently hurt people. I mean, there's no victim came forward at trial. To oh, it's say Ross it's clearly him. punitive. Yeah, but yeah. what I'm saying, it's supposed yeah. to be correctional. Yes. So in that case, and so I would say, you know, no, I, I think he's he should be let out. I would love to see him let out. Uh, but as far as a lighter sentence, I don't think that's even, how could you debate that? I mean, dub, life sentences have quintupled in the uh, U.S. criminal justice system since the 80s. Quintupled. When I was growing up, hardly anybody got life. You had to be a mass murderer to get life. It was a big deal to give someone a life sentence. And now they've quintupled. And there's 17,000 people serving life that are nonviolent like Ross. And you're talking about Kim.com. Life? I mean, there's no chance for redemption. There's no chance for restitution. And it, it's just outrageous. It's, it's scary. In researching this interview, um, I've read a lot and I've watched a lot. I've watched the documentaries. I've watched various interviews. Um, and there seems to be divided opinion. There seems to be some people on one side of the fence that sees Ross as a criminal mastermind who created a uh, the front for a, for a drug empire. Then there seems to be the other side that sees Ross as a hero who allowed people freedom of choice. And when researching that, I found that there were many people who saw the Silk Road as an opportunity to to purchase their drugs in a non-violent environment and in a safe environment and ensure that the purity of the drugs were 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 higher and cleaner and therefore safe to take. And I think on a personal level, I, I, I veer to that side. It then goes back to the war on drugs not working. And actually, do you believe the Silk Road therefore served a purpose and... and in hindsight, do you believe Ross would, would do the same again, knowing that it creates this debate? Has it been worth it? He's already said he would never do it again. He wouldn't have done it just for what's happened to our family. He just wouldn't. In fact, somebody who was visiting him said, well, hey, if I'm ever in your seat, uh, you help my mom. And he said, um, don't get in my seat. It's not worth it. It's like um, there's other ways that you can make the point 
And, um, you know, a lot of 26-year-olds, he was 26 mm-hmm. when he got the idea and cre- he actually created a video game first okay. based on free market principles and Austrian economics uh-huh. and then turned to the internet. And it was, the idea was not to sell drugs. It was to protect the anonymity and privacy of the users on the site. It was product agnostic, really. It was up to people what they decided to exchange using Bitcoin because he saw the potential for monetary freedom with Bitcoin. And, um, you know, there's a lot of legal or certainly non-drug items on there. And as you point out, there were mm-hmm. things that were helping people, CBD oil for children with seizures or cancer or things like that. Um, well, as I mentioned to you before, we the Silk Road paved the way for the website where I bought the CBD oil for my mother's cancer. And um, yeah, exactly. So the intention wasn't, oh, I'm going to be a big drug kingpin and make a lot of money and sell drugs and have people you know, suffer. That is so not Ross. And um, he didn't even run this. It, you know, he says, and I, and I believe him, and there's a lot of indication, which we will, be going, we will be putting up on the website, that he didn't. You know, but uh, what did you ask me again? Because I really want to finish the thought. I'm sorry. I so forgot. what I was uh, saying is that by creating the Silk Road. Oh, would road, he do it again? Yeah, he, he has opened the door for, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, without yeah. the Silk Road, I might not have been able to purchase what I purchased with my mother. Right. Was the I, sacrifice worth it? Right. Um, he would say he would not do it again. I, I, he said it. And um, 26-year-olds are sometimes reckless. They're mm-hmm. very passionate about things. They're, they think they're immortal. They're reckless. They do stuff. He's matured a lot. He's 34 now. And um, he's learned a lot. He's learned a lot in prison. And um, from all the people he's met there, from what he, the price he is paying, it, it's, uh, you know, so... I don't believe he would do it again. That's my opinion, because I don't think he would want to, first of all, give up his life and secondly, uh, hurt us. And um, But it doesn't mean you can't have work towards freedom in a way that maybe wouldn't be such a, um, you know, uh, extreme thing, a reckless thing, thinking you're, you know, can just do these things. And if he was, got to know who you're, you know what you're doing. Yeah, and and if he was released, how, how do you think he would spend his time? Do you think he would do something completely different, or do you think this is an area he would focus on in a way that's within the legal framework? Oh, he would definitely be within the legal framework. What he said to me the other day is that, "Mom, when I get out, we're going to lead a simple life." <laughs> I think what he would do immediately is get in nature. He is such a nature person. He. Um, you know, he's been cooped up in a cage for, you know, so long. But Ross still cares about uh, freedom. I care about freedom. I think we're allowed to do that in this country. I don't think it means you're a bad person who should be put in jail. Mm-hmm. Although the judge in her sentencing said, we know you started this site for philosophical reasons, and I'm not sure you've given that up yet. Was this Judge Forrest? Yes, it was. Catherine Forrest? Catherine Forrest. She... <sighs> I struggle with Judge Catherine Forrest, and I believe she'd made her decision very early on in setting an example with Ross. There seems to be a very different uh, example set with Ross than those who say set up the Silk Road too. Yeah, who's out? I mean, Blake Benthal, who isn't Blake even Benthal, never did any time? Who essentially did the same thing. Oh, they said it was bigger. They The, the government said it is an quote unquote, in their uh, PR and in their complaint, it's identical site, only it was four times the size of Silk Road. 
and with more listings. And Blake Benthal served, was in custody for 13 days. He's gone. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing, but he served no time. When and he knew what happened. It wasn't like some 26-year-old kid would go, oh, I've got a great idea and let's see. And it got it's away from you. He knew. And he's out. So and what, I'm not saying I want him to, in jail. I'm well, not no, we want the opposite, that, right? We yes, want exactly. Ross to have Simlin, but has no precedent then been set with Ross? Um, the standards therefore seem to be different. Well, I can go into why I think Ross got, got it so hard. Please do. I think people need to hear this. Um, I think, I don't think it is about drugs. The biggest drug seller on Silk Road got 10 years. The biggest uh, cocaine and her- uh, heroin seller got five. Biggest meth seller got three. And Blake Benthal got none. Second in command at Silk Road 2 got eight. The corrupt agents who uh, were stealing and were <clears throat> probably tampering with the uh, evidence and content on the server were got six and seven. I think it's about Bitcoin. I, I think it was about uh, privacy on the internet and tour, but about Bitcoin because Chuck Schumer, Senator Chuck Schumer from New York, mm-hmm. was a, a ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee. And he's the one that called for the takedown of Silk Road and got, got law enforcement. And they talk about this in Deep Web. He's the was the impetus behind the whole thing. And I think, and it, see the NSA revelations recently about how the NSA was urgently pursuing Bitcoin users six months before Ross was arrested, around the time when Chuck Schumer with this whole thing, shows that the government was very concerned about Bitcoin. That's what they were worried about. This, hey, you don't mess with their money. And it's a... Uh, uh, you know, an alternate currency that was getting gaining traction, this cannot be tolerated. And I think that is really why. It, and so Schumer was very influential. Judge Catherine Forrest was recommended by Schumer to her position on the bench in the district, uh, the uh, Southern District. Uh, Preet Bharara, who was the lead prosecutor, was Chuck Schumer's special counsel for many years. And Ross was arrested in California, but he was brought back to New York to be tried in Schumer's state. Mm-hmm. So I think, and, and so I, I do think he's a political prisoner. If you want to say that, you know, his sentence was so disparate from the biggest drug seller of 10, got 10 years, same criminal uh, designation and all, I don't know the right word, um, forget the word, but anyway, you know, they rank them mm-hmm. based on, you know, what they've done. And, um, you know, he got 10 years. Ross has already served almost five. So... Ideally, if he'd been given a similar sentence, he may be looking at release now for good behavior. Good behavior. Do you have well, a similar to UK? It's like half good behavior. They don't get half here anymore. Okay. They used to get better, but they do get some. Yeah, okay. they get a couple of years. So where are you now in, in the legal process? Oh, and by the way, okay. just let me say one more thing mm-hmm. about the sentence. Judge Forrest, the mandatory minimum for what they said, Ross, was like kingpin. They're calling a website host yeah. kingpin and yeah, as if he's Pablo Escobar, who you know, is supposedly responsible for 3,000 deaths and 300 assassinations. Supposedly Ross is equivalent. But in any case, um, she could have given him 20 years. Yeah, so mandatory that's 20 That's the mandatory year. minimum. Yeah, mandatory and minimum. And that's long. For a 30-year-old 30 30 guy... That, that means you, your whole, you, you know, young years, your really most vital years, you could argue, are, are taken. But And then he's not going to get out after not being on the Internet for 20 years and come out and do some revolutionary thing on the Internet. I mean, come on. Who knows what's going to be happening in 20 years? 
But uh, she um, didn't think that was long enough. For her, he's got to die there. He has to come out, be carried out as a corpse, out of that place. That's when she'll be happy. And to prove what point? She thought it was, well, she said it was going to deter others from doing it. And of course, there was a spike in dark net markets um, after the sentencing. She's essentially using Ross to set an example. Uh, but it hasn't. That's what she said, and that's what the prosecution said, and that's even what the appellate court said. But like the war on drugs doesn't stop drug use. Exactly. The example hasn't stopped dark net markets. No, or drug use, or anything. Yeah. And they're actually worse drug. Yes. Bigger. Uh, without the kind of restrictions Silk Road had, like I'm sure you can get child porn and all. I mean, yeah. I don't know, but I, I don't go on them. But you know, things that you know create victims that Silk Road didn't allow. So, where are you now in the legal process? Well, um, our legal team, Ross has a legal team that uh, is one of the top in the country, Williams and Connolly. And they took the case because they think it's a very important case. Mm -hmm. And they really like Ross. Ross has worked with them uh, on the case. And uh, they're great people and very brilliant. And they've written a what's called a petition of certiorari, which is called, it's a cert petition for short, which is basically presenting broad-reaching questions. Once it gets to the Supreme Court, you've got to be, it's got to be, they don't get into the nuts and bolts of the trial or violations at trial, but they talk about more broad-reaching issues. And so they've presented two questions. And... Um, the, this petition has been joined by 21 groups from both sides of the political spectrum uh, in five amicus briefs, Friends of the Court, mm -hmm. which are documents just saying this is important for these reasons and you need to hear it to the court. That is the National Lawyers Guild, American Black Cross, Reason Foundation, Drug Policy Alliance and Downsize DC Foundation. Well, and Cato Institute, there's several, uh, there's several of you and there's, they joined it. So it's, it's a, several people on each one. It's not just those, it's, um, there's 21 of them. And the Drug Policy Alliance have been very supportive. Yeah, oh yeah. They were also, they wrote an amicus brief for Ross's appeal at the Second Circuit level too. Okay, so what's going to happen now? Because it seems- Oh, so, okay, so yeah. then what happened was the government the Solicitor General of the United States actually answered the petition. He responded. And and then our, Ross's team replied to that. And now everything's been um, presented to the court and we wait. Now, I can tell you the two questions because I'll give you a quick synopsis of what they're addressing. Mm -hmm. Because they're very important. One is um, the question, does it violate the Fourth Amendment for the U.S. government to seize an individual's internet traffic information without a warrant or probable cause, which means a good reason that they present to the court. And the petition saying no, and it has huge implications because of all the relevant and personal information that is, uh, can be gleaned from one's internet habits, political affiliations, religious affiliations, sexual orientation, um, all kinds of medical information, all kinds of things apps you use? What are you interested in? And the thing is, people. some people go, you know, this privacy question. So, well, I don't have anything to hide. It's fine. Well, uh, that's good, but it doesn't mean they can't use that information to blackmail officials, judges, persecute people if they want to go after. It's a huge slippery slope. 
And um, they should at least get a warrant. I mean, if, if they went into your house and took a file cabinet without a warrant, it would be clearly unconstitutional, no question. But because it's digital, it's not, it falls under this doctrine called the third party doctrine, which has been used now for four decades based on the dial telephone and the privacy of numbers being dialed. That's it. And um, they're saying, well, we can do this. And I'm, I'm kind of like, well, then why have warrants? You, you know, you, you'll find more in my, my, uh, my laptop than you're going to find in my house, really, at this point. Right. And um, so that's one question. And it's a big deal for privacy in the digital age, because the Fourth Amendment's becoming shredded, basically. It's losing any kind of meaning now. The other uh, question is, does it violate the Sixth Amendment and the right to a jury trial to have a judge and one judge and not 12 members of a jury decide and rule if something's true? And she, this judge, Judge Forrest, uh, she she did this on several uh with a few issues, but the most glaring is murder for hire, never brought to court. The government never brought this to court, never mm-hmm. prosecuted it, never proved it, never had the jury rule on it. But Judge Forrest just decided, yes, it's true. And uh, this is a very dangerous thing also. The reason we have the Sixth Amendment, one of the reasons is to protect the accused from this kind of overreach of power of a judge. And um, it's a pillar of our justice system. So, and it's being, it's its actually apparently quite widespread, and I didn't know that. So to help us understand, uh, not mm-hmm. everyone's uh, based in the U.S., yeah, the right to right. a jury trial, does anybody yes. have that right in any case? Yes. To request it? Most people don't go because 98% of people plea because they're bullied and threatened by prosecutors that if they go to trial, they're going to lose and they'll get a worse sentence. So it's becoming very rare that people even go to trial. Ross was offered a plea? He was offered a threat. He wasn't really offered a plea. Right. Uh, um, most pleas threats. Yeah, but he he was offered um, by Saren Turner, the prosecutor. He said, we're going to charge you with narcotics trafficking. It has a 10-year mandatory minimum. We're going to recommend a life sentence. But if you don't plea, then we're going to charge you with kingpin charge. They weren't going to originally charge him with a kingpin charge. It was part of a threat. Is this it just because- goes to show they don't really think he's a kingpin. But anyway, that you know, oh, it's just a threat. Okay. And then that has a 20-year mandatory minimum. We're still going to recommend life. So it's kind of like, what kind of deal is that? Was this related to him releasing the details of users and sellers on the site, which he refused to do? I don't know that it ever came to that. I'm not really clear on whether they said, if you release names, uh, you can get out. I think it was more if you confess to this, we're still going to recommend life, but you instead of 20 kingpin charge. Right. Mm-hmm. So was would Ross have been, did Ross want a jury trial? Well, with that kind of deal, yes. Okay. I think potentially he might, he would have been advised otherwise if there was a ceiling, like, okay, you, you face the 10 year mandatory minimum. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, ima- I would imagine he would take that, but he didn't really have much. I mean, it's still giving the judge the power to give him life, which she did. And you don't have a chance to appeal it. Does life always mean whole life? Like in the UK, we have life, which I think is 25 years, and then whole life, which is the right. two separate. Right. In the federal, in the state system, no. Okay. But the fed, federal system changed that and took away parole in the 80s. Right. And so life does mean 
actual life, that you die in prison, you have no option. Which I'm is with- outrageous. It's like, really? Yeah, and that's one reason we're spending a fortune on this mass incarceration, which of course is a huge industry. Mm-hmm. Lots of people are benefiting from it. And it's really a jobs program. It's so many things. Uh, keeping old people in there that are dying and they won't let them out. And there's a 90-year-old guy in there asking, can I come out now? Okay, I'm, he's 90. Nope. And so, it's a drug crime. Yeah, so we're jumping around, but there's some really interesting <laughs> things here. So you say it's a jobs program? Yes, it employs a lot of people. <laughs> At low rates to produce? Well, I mean jobs for the guards. Well, one of okay. the biggest lobbyists against legalization is tr- prison guard unions. Right. It, you know, they don't want marijuana legal. It, hey, it's low-hanging fruit comes in the, keeps the place stocked. The inventory is stocked. Police unions, also one of the biggest lobbyists. I mean, it's a whole, the town where I live and the surrounding towns would be absolutely either deserted or totally depressed if it weren't for the prisons. It's a very big prison area. And um, no, it employs, it's millions. I mean, probably billions of dollars, this whole kind of thing. Right. Gosh, but it does, it does feel like a false economy. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry, let's... Well, it's fueled by taxpayer money. Yes, of course. And yeah. it's fueled by human lives. It's really human trafficking, from, I think. I mean, it's like if you make money off of human lives and, and, and do, you're doing this, how is it not human trafficking? That's what human traffickers do. I understand the whole life term for specific violent criminals who maybe can't uh, change their ways and are a danger on the streets. Ross is clearly not a danger to anyone. So have they given you any reason why they wanted life? Any? Well, Catherine Forrest just said, I'm going to give you the harshest sentence I possibly can. She would have given him the death penalty, but you can't. Well, she, that must have frustrated her. But anyway, she you know, but she did give him a death sentence, really, because like the ACLU calls it um, a walking death sentence. And Ross even said to me, he goes, Mom, it's a death sentence. It just takes longer. And it, so... I got it here as one of my first notes, a death sentence in disguise. Was that it? Was it? Who uh, said that? Was that the Pope? I think the Pope did say that. Yeah. And it is. And, I mean, like I said, it's, there's 17,000 nonviolent people, so it just takes them... Now, I do think potentially even violent people, depending on, you know, like you say, I mean, if they're a danger, but people do change and and mature. Now, you don't want to let people out that are obviously a danger to people, but there's clearly many, many who are not. And then if you add in virtual life, which is such a long sentence as they'll die in there 50 years or more, you're talking about over 200,000 people. What a waste. Horrible, horrible waste of human lives, of money, of everything. And it's evil. It's awful. It's uh, this is the land of the free. It's, but but it's not just one life. It's yours, it's Kirk, true. your husband. You're right. His your daughter. Mm-hmm. It's um. We have extended family. Yeah. They're affected. We have. You're absolutely right. When your loved one is doing time, you're doing time. Absolutely. So. And I get to know the families in prisons. It's not just us. Course. I get to know the children. I see them crying and in, in you know suffering. And they're wounded children who are, you know, clinging to their dads who have to leave. And the family's trying to hold it together because of this situation. And um, I hear the stories. And uh, these kids are statistically more likely to go into prison themselves. Yep. So that keeps that inventory flowing. That just keeps that, you know, thing moving on. So you've got these two points on the Fourth and the Sixth Amendment. Mm-hmm. 
going to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. When, well, we hope. Well, you I hope. Mean, it depends if they'll take it, but we so, hope they'll take it. So did I read they have to reply, was it by the 18th of March or February? No, uh, you might have been reading about the government. Yes, ah, this is separate. They did reply. They did reply. That's the that's the that's basically the Solicitor General. That's the prosecutors, the mm-hmm. ones bringing the charges. And then the, our team had to reply, I think it was the 21st of March. Yes. So they did. That's all published. And um, the Supreme Court, I'm not sure if they don't really have a deadline. It could be April. It could be June. It could be. And it's linking. It's being linked to another Fourth Amendment case uh, called Carpenter v. U.S., which is about a cell phone tracking. Although it's really <coughs> more um, invasive. Your Internet browsing is more informative than where you are with your cell phone. I mean, mm-hmm. really is, but more personal. But um, the government suggested that Ross's case be held uh, to wait to see how they rule on Carpenter. And there's another case, Kyra versus U.S., it's being held, probably being held to wait for Carpenter. So if rejected by the Supreme Court, mm. is, that the, is that the end of the legal process? Uh, you can, there are a few other very difficult things you can try for. It's like a pardon bad. or... Well, that, I mean, that would be great. <laughs> that would be wonderful. And I am asking anybody who has political connections, please reach out to me. And uh, and also, if anybody knows anyone in the NSA who might have proof that the NSA was actually specifically tracking Silk Road, because that calls into the legality of the investigation. Uh, but, or political connections that, you know, and does anyone that has some you know, power in politics, the United States or elsewhere even, could help us. And if the Supreme Need Court it. does yeah. it, take it on, yeah. Um, I'm assuming you've done research into similar things the Supreme Court have taken on before. Yes. What What's the process and how long does it take? And what, what are you looking to getting yourself into with this? How long? If they take it yes. or if they don't take if it. If they do take it. If they do take it. Well, there's different things that can happen. It depends how they rule. Mm-hmm. Um, they could rule broadly on Carpenter and saying, hey, you don't, you got to get a warrant for this. This is not right. And then it would be what's called remanded or sent back to the appellate court at, with guidance. So the appellate court's getting guidance from the Supreme Court about now how to apply it because they brought it up, but they said, we can't do anything with this. The Supreme Court's got to tell us what to do. Okay. It could, that could lead to a new trial, which would be great. I'd like to have a new trial where we can actually talk about the corruption. <laughs> we could actually talk about a lot of things that were never allowed. Many, many things were uh, suppressed. Um, you know, the jury had no idea that two corrupt agents, now in prison, by the way, mm-hmm. were all over that site. Not only stealing, but they had the ability to change. They had the ability to act as a Dread Pirate Roberts, uh-huh. the per- persona that, you know, was yeah. running the site. Since the trial, it's been uncovered that there was another, looks like another uh, law enforcement agent who went in and deleted evidence. There's proof that there was evidence, and then there's comparatively what was shown to the jury in evidence. There's a whole big section deleted. That's, that's very uh, important. So someone went in there and there's proof that uh, Dread Pirate Roberts logged in to the Silk Road seven weeks after Ross was arrested. He was in solitary. There's no way it was Ross. Who was that? Gosh, you know what? I have a question on solitary as well um, Mm. and prison life, but Mm -hmm. but 
that was one of the key things when, you know, there's a lot of evidence to sift through. It's, it's You know, there is a lot to get your head around. There's a lot yeah. of inconsistencies. There's a lot, a lot of troubling things. Mm-hmm. But the fact that someone logged in as Dread Pirate Roberts seven weeks after said to me one of two things. Well, one of three things. Either Ross wasn't Dread Pirate Roberts, either there were multiple Dread Pirate Roberts, mm-hmm. either there was a government agency acting as Dread Pirate Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, why wasn't this... Did this information come out after yes. conviction? Right. What happens is, and what the government apparently routinely does, they'll have evidence called 3500 material. They had it for a year. Uh, right before the trial, they dumped, I believe it was around four terabytes of material. Was this on a thing the, I read, like six million pages or something? Yeah, it was, well, it's 1.2 billion pages <laughs> if you type it. And, and, and you know, hey, here's our evidence. We gave it to you. How long? And then you, you, in advance? Did you uh, I think it might have been, uh, maybe it was two weeks, maybe it was less. It wasn't long. Two weeks to get through 1.2 billion pages. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And apparently this is routine. This is how our government operates. These kind of things, I was like, really? I, I just, this is the stuff that's opened my eyes. I'm like, this is wrong. But anyway, they kept going through, the defense kept going through it after trial, sifting, sifting, sifting. And that's when it was uncovered that this other, uh, and it's proof, and it was written by up in several publications. It's right there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I went through everything on the website and I've listed about seven or eight things I struggle with. Okay. On both sides of the argument. And yeah, I sure. just want to talk through each of them okay. um, with you. So one we've already talked about. I, I said within the legal framework, mm-hmm. Ross has committed a crime. Mm-hmm. So um, I have never, again, I, I see Ross as doing something that was good for me and my family. Mm-hmm. But I see within the legal framework, he he has committed a crime. That is something I can't, I can't get away from. Um one thing I struggled with in the evidence is, and again, correct me if I've missed something wrong here, but when Ross was arrested, he was logged into the website mm-hmm. as the master admin, mm-hmm. which says to me he was involved in the site up until the time of his arrest. He was, he was actually downloading the Colbert Report in the library. That's okay. in the trans, transcripts. Okay. But he was... Uh, messaged by uh, an agent mm-hmm. who was posing as Cirrus, which was one of the admins, yep. to, to log on, and he did. So potential setup. Yeah, okay. and and there'll be more information about that on the website uh, when it's all pulled together. Not that nothing's proven, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of interesting information that make one think, hmm, there's a lot more to this than, but uh, that's what he said. Okay. Um, one thing we've talked about, so he, one of the things he was charged with was drug, drug trafficking. Was the drug trafficking charge related to the mushrooms or was it related to the operations of the website? Oh, I think it was the operations of the website. So initially so, it was, um, um, excuse me, it was on the internet. They said trafficking on the internet. So this is something I struggle with, seeing him as a drug trafficker, because uh-huh. yeah. therefore I see the... Uh, owners of Google as um, guilty of piracy with YouTube. I therefore see the owners of Facebook as guilty of supporting uh, child pornography, as child pornography has been found on Facebook, and therefore I see the operators of Twitter as um, guilty of supporting mm-hmm. terrorism, 
as there is terrorist activity on that. So I, I struggle with that one. Um, well, yeah, it's very hypocritical. Yeah, very, very hypocritical. I mean, Jeff Bezos isn't being dragged into court for selling cyanide or whatever, or Craig Newmark or for Craigslist. People, and I don't, I'm not saying they should. I don't think they mm-hmm. should. But, and there was actually a state case in California, um, Backpage where a judge said it's a freedom of speech issue and the owners of Backpage, who were trial trafficking, sex trafficking, mm-hmm. uh, are not responsible for the traffickers on their site. They were enabling child sex trafficking and uh, they got out based on the same theory you're talking about, which is their website posts. They're not doing it. I guess the way other people would see it differently is that Amazon is a bookstore slash anything now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. YouTube is trying to take down pirated material. The Silk Road was primarily a place to buy drugs openly and freely. I think that's well, maybe well, the difference. Okay. I, I did that, except that it was it was user driven, of course, and the anonymity did attract that. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I see it, it, was, an, it was an open yeah. shop, therefore, yeah, you know. Okay. Almost open, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I struggle with everything I've read. The back page was child sex trafficking. Of course, yeah. And so, and so, anyway, that I mean, in my mind, that's a lot worse. Of course, <laughs> like beyond worse. Yes. I, so I, I'm, I'm not saying you. you know, yeah, right. From everything I've read about Ross and understand about him, I struggle to see somebody who would hire for murder. Yeah, and so does everybody who knows him. Where does where including that... the alleged victim? By the way, I assume you saw Curtis yes, James I did. tweet. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Where did this come from then? Well, um, I have my own theories. You I'd know, love to hear them. Um, when I read the chat that the prosecution prosecutor was permitted to read to the jury, he said to the jury, "You're not. He hasn't been charged with this. You're not expected to rule on it." Um, There were no murders, but let me just show you this chat. This chat was the most contrived. It was, to me, very obvious that one, from my point of view, one person had written it. Perfectly punctuated. Uh, When Ross ever wrote me, there was not a capital letter in sight, okay? He's like, da-da-da-da. You know, this chat was like perfect punctuation, capitalization. Didn't sound like him at all. And I'm like, there's no way that was Ross. And I'm like, really? You know, and and then the the agent who presented the evidence, he's the one in prison. He's the one that was stealing and changing things. And basically, why should we take his word that this is valid evidence at all? Now, other people think it was other, you know, other things. But So the agent could have created this to divert attention away from the site? Yeah. Make this potentially a murder trial or a... Good or a uh, soliciting murder trial, and therefore divert attention away from the theft. Could. I mean, the motivation would be there. Um, The government, you know, I've talked to other people who said the the government did that to me too. They smeared me with murder and murder for hire. It never happened. Um, But uh, it's funny, they never charged him for it. They dropped those charges. Mm -hmm. and um, But yet consider them. Okay. But consider them as part of the sentencing. They just talked about them, yeah. And then, yeah, oh, well, the judge did, yeah. And that's the argument. And look, you don't get to drop charges, not ask a jury to rule on them, and then use them to put someone in a cage for life. Excuse me? Yeah. 
Our founding fathers saw the danger of this. That's why they wrote the Sixth Amendment. <laughs> um, the last one I had on my and list. And no one died, okay? No one died. So even well, if, even if someone does murder for hire, if there's no victim, it's a 10-year sentence. So another thing <laughs> I've read. I mean, I've I, read, I don't believe for a second Ross did that, so, yeah. So I have read... Um, letters from family of people who have attributed the deaths of their children to drugs they bought from the Silk Mm -hmm. Road. Now, I'm not using this as an attack on Ross, but there are people who don't see this as a victimless Mm -hmm. situation. Right. Uh, Do you have opinions on this? Because it's it's an emotive subject. Oh, it's awful. I mean, I, I, of course, I, I, I feel horrible and so sad for anyone who's lost a child in any way. Uh, you know, including, of course, drug use. I would hate to think, uh, look, it's it's a terrible thing. The reason they call it victimless is because there was no force. I'm not proving it. Mm-hmm. I'm not defending Silk yep. Road. I'm not defending drugs. Let me just get really clear about that. However, um, I don't think it's the same as taking uh, a needle and plunging it into somebody's arm and pushing, you know, pushing the plunger and murdering them. It's not the same. It's not good uh, I, for anyone to use drugs or alcohol for that matter. I feel bad for people I know whose uh, child has been killed by a drunk driver too. You know, it's like horrible, terrible. I don't think it has a place in the sentencing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't proven that it was from Silk Road. Actually, uh, we hired a pathologist who said, there's no way you can prove that this was even drugs in two of the cases and, and that uh, it was from Silk Road at all. There's no proof. And you're just saying this at a, at a sentencing to create a circus almost of emotion. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is... Um, and Ross did actually promote safe drug use on the website and create well, content. whoever was running it did, yeah. Apologies, yes. Yeah. Whoever and, was running uh, it. At the time. And uh, yes, absolutely. You know, that was brought up. Uh, the court doesn't care about that, really. That wasn't a good argument, I suppose, in their mind, but it did. And I've had people write me and say it did. Um, uh, yeah, so it wasn't proven. It was brought up in sentencing. And of course, of course, you you know, it's horrible. It's horrible to lose a child. And I'm completely, you know, sympathetic. It's awful. But um, that's where the victimless thing is, is that, it wasn't forced. Nothing was forced. It's not forced when you buy drugs on the street either. It's, mm-hmm. it's your choice. I mean, it's a good choice. Bad choice. Do you feel in some ways you've lost a child? Yes, I do. Absolutely do. Um, I do. It's it's um, different. He's alive. And there's hope because he's alive. But I have. I've You know, he would have probably gone on to have a family and, you know, at this point even, and uh, uh, be part of our family. And uh, yes, I do. He's still Ross. He's still there. Mm-hmm. I get to see him. So it is different. I, I, you know, once you actually a child dies, it's like there's no. Of course, else. yeah. But at the same time, yeah, I do. You get to and spend- it never ends. I can't. Ha- there's no closure because as long as Ross is in there, I can't go on and go. Oh well, I'm going to have my life now. I'm going to go travel or I'm going to go do this inter- hobby or I can't do that. So what what was your life before the arrest and what is it now? What can you just give us a picture of what is you know. Mm-hmm. A picture of your life now, how it's changed. Yeah. Well, my husband and I have a business in Costa Rica. He uh-huh. built um, bamboo houses on, in the rainforest off grid and, wow. and we rent them out as vacation rental. 
So we were living down there part-time, pretty tranquil. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, so that was kind of, that was our business. It still is. Uh-huh. Um, now uh, he's taken that over completely because I was helping with that. And um, now he's taking that over completely to support us. And I um, completely in full time dedicate myself to various issues in Ross's case. And not only Ross, it's become kind of bigger. I was going to say, it seems yeah. like you've, you've become a spokesperson for wider issues relating to things that do relate to Ross's case. But Right. And, we, and Ross and I both hope that it can, his case can shine a spotlight on some of these issues. And since I can talk firsthand, at least about some of it, certainly about the prisons um, and uh, well, there's privacy, there's crypto, there's the mm-hmm. currency, there's the whole criminal justice system. It's kind of converged all on this case. And I see it as a, a bigger fight. Really, I do. I, I'm concerned about us losing our freedoms and, I, and we're, the way the government's going in this country. So if I was to put a uh, situation to you, say Ross had a successful appeal with the Supreme Court and was released. Mm-hmm. Say there was significant changes to some parts of the law, something to do with the prisoners, something that meant something. Mm-hmm. Would this then have all been worth it? That's a really big question. Um, I it depends when he gets released. I guess I can only ask. I can only ask <laughs> I, for you, not for Ross. For me, um, mm. at this amount of time, it may be if we really got a good result for others as well. Uh, it's it's a you know Ross told me he said look it it's not like it he said depending on when how long this goes on it hasn't been a complete waste. Mm-hmm. It's I've learned things I never would have learned. I've met people I never would have met. I've my eyes have been opened to things I never would have known, and. Um, he said, you know, it has, and that made me feel so much better because he, he's making the best of it and he's trying to be a good influence. He's trying to, so he said it has, and he's matured tremendously. Um, so even though it's been horribly hard, <laughs> um, maybe, I'd have to say maybe, okay. but, uh, you know, I've met so many amazing people uh, and I, uh, who have stepped up beside us, who I really admire, that um, have inspired me. Um, I've had experiences I never would have. I've learned things I never would have. So if it weren't for Ross being in prison, it's been one of the most challenging and enriching four years of my entire life. Uh, so I don't know, you know, yeah, I'd say up to this point, maybe so, especially if we could get some kind of attention to what's going on in the, in the criminal justice system and the drug war. And so your husband, Kirk, is based in well, he goes, back, he and goes forth, back and forth, yeah. And you're based in... Well, I'm right now, I'm I'm Colorado, so I can be near Ross. But, you know, they move people around in the system. I don't know how long I'll be there. Okay, so I think I want to ask some stuff about the prison system. Sure. So but does this mean that naturally you and Kirk have less time together? As, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we do. Which must be... Yeah, it's, it's well, we, we, it's okay. We, we're, we're, you know, we manage it. And you've become a figure for this, but I did read Kirk's letter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how's his relationship with Ross? Is he going to spend regular time with him? Yeah, well, I mean, he's going to see him soon, actually. He's okay. coming uh, today, oh, okay. <laughs> actually, to help me out with some things. He's come to and, Austin? Yeah. Oh, okay. He is, um, his mother lives here as well. Okay. Um, and uh, he will, yeah, see Ross, and they have a very good relationship, and, uh, you know, they communicate regularly and everything, yeah. So in terms of the, the prison system um, and in terms of Ross's experience there you'd say and i've heard you talk about this before they move people around regularly and this is a big country 
It is. You know, in the UK, you could move somebody from one end to the other, it's a five, six hour drive. Mm -hmm. You can do it one end of the country here, it's a five, six hour flight. Yeah. What is the reason they move people around so much? You know, I've learned in the prison system, I, I use this term, why ask why? Because there's so many things that go, why? Why? And I'm like, there's no rational reason that I can see. However, it might be because they have more beds to fill here. It's like the pe- the prisoners are not people. They're units, you know? And actually, Ross said one time he, he was referred to as freight. And he said to the guy, I'm freight, <laughs> you know? He says, freight coming up, you know, the elevator or whatever. Uh, so they're not really, con- they don't consider the people or the families as far as I can see. So it's a machine and then they're cops yeah, in the It's a bureaucracy. Machine. It's a heartless bureaucracy. It's probably one of the most uh worst examples of what bureaucracies can become as far as I can tell, because they have ultimate power. And um, so as far, and, and it's the, the, the team that decides where you go, it's called, if you can believe it, the hotel team. I'm that like, it's just ludicrous. It is. It's like the most evil and expensive hotel ever. But um, they, the hotel team <laughs> decides where you go. And I might have to do with, um, I don't know. I have a, it might have to do with how many beds need to be filled here or there or whatever. It might have to do with they don't want someone in there too long. Or I, I don't really don't know the reasoning. Uh, but you never know. I've talked to families who are like, how am I going to move? I've got kids I'm in school. I've got a house. And now my husband's going to be so far away or they're for dad. You know, that kind of thing. And there's a visiting room. The visiting room is huge. It's uh, it can seat 250 people. Okay. Usually there's about three to five inmates with visitors in there. It's vast. We're all sitting in this big empty room. Why is that? Because the people, I think a lot of it, they live so far away. They can't right. afford it. They can't. And sometimes people show up and it's on lockdown or something. And they can't. There's so much heartbreak just in the day-to-day dealing with the situation. It's just amazing. Gosh. And so has Ross now become used to prison? Does he, does he have a life and a routine in there that he keeps to? That Yeah. Well, he, you know, I wouldn't... <laughs> I don't know if he's used to it. I mean, he's, he's he's definitely coping with it very well. He's very strong. He's very strong mentally and emotionally, and I'm very happy to see that. And he's intentionally positive. He never complains to me, ever. He never complains. He, uh, on a normal day, if they're not on lockdown, which has been way too frequent and almost nonstop since Thanksgiving, um, he, go to, he goes outside at this facility uh, unlike New York, he's got access to a big yard. He can see the mountains. He can watch the sunrise. He can run a track. So he's one of a few people. A few of them go out and watch the sunrise every day. They mm-hmm. can. And then he'll also go to the, spend a lot of time in the law library. Uh, he meditates. The law library because of his case or yeah. just a wider interest? No, his case. But he has learned a lot from others, <clears> you know, <throat> and they talk and learn from each other. But, um, you know, he's researching his case. And he actually worked on with the lawyers somewhat on his case and made good arguments that, you know, they, they accepted. <laughs> so it's pretty good. Um, but you know, he, yeah, he's learning, he's taking, he's being taking initiative. Um, and may, he doesn't watch TV, which most prisoners, many, many of them just veg in front of the TV 24 seven. He doesn't watch any. Nope. Does he have access to he the He feels like world? it's a waste of time. He wants to 
you know, he's reading about artificial intelligence and, you know, he's making the most of his time. Oh, really? Yeah. So he he's should, a scientist, really. So he's not a computer programmer. He's a scientist. My last interview with Morgan, I told you he was arrested for selling Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that discussion, we discussed about AI, actually. It was a oh, re- really interesting Same debate. kind of mentality, I guess. For, you know what? Yeah. I, I just, I, th- I think those people who have d- discovered Bitcoin and and um, and discovered uh, kind of more, more interesting technology all converge on the same topics. Mm-hmm. Um they're left brain, unlike myself. <laughs> I'm like, oh. but anyway. Well, I'm, now I'm you're open. It. <laughs> now you're open to this, and you've exposed it. Maybe yeah. all. Um, so, how has Ross changed? You know, the thing about Ross is he hasn't changed, and I'm so happy. And that's one of the reasons I want to make sure he gets visits all the time, okay. as much as possible, because he needs that lifeline. Because I think people do change after a while. He's still. We laugh. We um, have fun talking. He's sweet. He's he he he's not bitter. He, in fact, when I start getting kind of you know saying things that you know I'm not real you know happy about some of the things that's happened or some of the people involved, he's like, don't even go there. It's not. It's not. You know, we don't want to get into that. We want to just move forward, and it's okay. It's just all part of this whole fight. And you know, he's so inspiring to me. Keeps me from going down that road. It's very easy to go down that road. Yeah. And um, he's not like that. He's not vindictive or anything like that. He's he's like, nah. And that's why, I mean, the people in there love him. He's like, you know, they say, he's, he's a good guy. Don't, he shouldn't be in here. You're kind of taking me aside. Because he, he is. Very positive energy. He really does. Yeah. And he cares about people. He's very sweet. And so this image in the media of this thug kingpin, it's like... It's absurd, but they, you know, a lot of the media, not all, love that sensationalistic stuff. Well, he was clickbait. He was yes, clickbait, and he was tried by media. He before. sure was. He was guilty before. Uh, he was convicted in many people's eyes. Oh yeah, um, that didn't help him. Nope. No, the media and the government work very well together, as far as I can tell. So you must have, you must now be very suspicious of the government. The, the different yes. agencies within the government, their motivations. Mm-hmm. Does that make you feel any less American in any way? Well, what I have really learned is um, the, the urge, I do believe that the urge for freedom is innate somewhat. Maybe not in everyone, but it, I think it is. There's this thing in people like, I want to live my life. I want to make my own choices. I want to live my life. And I'm finding that that is international. It's all over. We get, I get people from all over the world uh, contacting me, and, and Ross does too. Um, it's resonated all over the world. <coughs> I think that the, for me, um, you know, I, I was a pretty patriotic person. I was, you know, you know, American ideals, and I've been very disillusioned. I feel like our country is being hijacked by people who don't have those ideals um, and don't believe in, in the, the, principles that this country was founded on, but I do um, still love those principles. But I don't think they're, they're American, but they're universal. And um, so that's how I see it. And I kind of see it like we need to defend them because, and the thing is, you're not American, Mm -hmm. but as somebody in Germany said, when the United States sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. You know, they influence, we influence everybody and and, and, uh, for better or worse. And um, so it's important to everyone. Well, this is about my 40th trip here. Um, Mm. I come to America all the time. I do love it here. Um, Travel all over, meet people. 
Great I, people. Great Americans people. Americans are great people for the most part. They uh, really are. They get a bad rep internationally. Because uh, of their government. Because of the government. Mm-hmm. And what my experience is... I think also the over-exuberance at sports sometimes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've had a bomb that. So. <laughs> but uh, what I find is the people here are very different from how the government represents them. Uh, oh, I definitely are. Yeah, I think so too. So... Definitely. I kind of see Ross very much along the lines of how I see Edward Snowden, Julia Assange, people who have fought for freedom, fought for privacy, fought for rights... Yeah, he's the one in prison. Yeah. Well, Julian, they're all, they're, they're all both is, have their own restrictions, but well, he's not. they're not in prison. But yeah. they have their own separate prisons. Mm-hmm. You know, Julian Assange is stuck in an embassy in the UK. Uh, Edward Snowden would like to come back, I believe, but mm-hmm. under... Yeah. I think we're also probably trade with either one of them as far as uh, venue. Of course. <laughs> have, they, have they been in contact with you? Have they been no, supportive? Snowden did actually. He was interviewed at Liberty Forum two years ago, and actually the clip of the video is on our website, where Nick Gillespie of Reason asked him, he said, can we assume that the NSA was involved in the investigation of Ross Ulbricht and Silk Road? And he went, yeah. And he said, he just said yes. And then he said, it's unthinkable they weren't. And he said some other stuff, but basically that's the bottom line. And now it's just come out from his memos that were top secret that, and I assume he knew this, that the NSA was specifically tracking Bitcoin users. Well, at, in 2013, where were the Bitcoin users? I think they were on Silk Road, a lot of them. I think they probably they were, aware, they were tracking Silk Road. And, um, of course, the government denied it in the, um, in their, in the motions where the, Ross's defense said, look, the NSA, how do you get the server? This isn't making sense. They're, they said under oath how they got the server, and, and experts worldwide went, that doesn't make any sense. You're lying. And even uh, Robert Graham said, we think the NSA did it. Well, the, the government didn't actually deny it. They said, they just mocked the defense and went, oh, boogeyman, you're just bringing up a boogeyman, the NSA, oh. I'm like, well, were they or not? You know, but they never said. And now it's come out that they were tracking Bitcoin users. They weren't worried about drugs. They were worried about Bitcoin. So the NSA probably <laughs> probably know we're having this conversation right now then. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Am I going to be banned from coming back to America now? I don't hope not. I hope not. I I could talk to you for hours. Yeah, I know. It's fascinating, some of this. You know, if it wasn't so heartbreaking, it really is fascinating as well. Um, Just a couple more questions, because I'm conscious of time. I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, How are you financing this? This this must be very expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're pretty much, we were pretty much depleted personally, um, but now, but we've gotten a lot of really great support, okay. grassroots support. Good. And um, from the crypto community as well as, you know, just lots of different people. And that's how, and we had a, um, we had a fundraiser called the Free Rossathon. It's like a telethon, <laughs> but it was a free Rossathon on the internet. It was an eight hour online conference where 35 uh, leaders in crypto and liberty movements and other in, in criminal justice reform came forward to speak on Ross's behalf and on these principles and what we've discussed a lot today. Mm-hmm. And we raised, um, uh, let's see, we raised about $28,000 and then Roger Veer matched it. What? No, not 20. It, we ended up with 40, whatever the math, 24,000. And um, that has enabled uh, that and Roger's previous support. He supported us very, you know, it's very cool really helpful. It is. 
And but there's also been other people who have, you know, either anonymous because it was Bitcoin or people who uh, stepped up, but small people too. I mean, even a price of a cup of coffee, buy us a cup of coffee, give give it to this defense fund. It adds up mm-hmm. when enough people care. So we have been able with our own money and then uh, with raising money to um, fund it and, you know, negotiated things with different people who are helping and, you know, stuff like that. So this uh, fundraising is, is something that's continually going on. I should, yeah, freeross.org. <laughs> so, yeah, no, please do. Yeah, tell. thanks. You know, yeah. say, say how people can help. It's- yeah, well, freeross.org has lots of ways. And, it's, it, you know, there's different ways to contribute financially, including just buy on Amazon through our site. And it doesn't cost you anything, but we get a little bit. And um, there's other things on there. There's an art game based on Ross's art that you can, for a dollar, you can play. And we get, you know, it adds up. Uh, there's a tax deductible option. There's um, uh, just flat out crypto, lots of different coins. Also, um, you know, just uh, PayPal. Uh, but also uh, people have skills. You know, I'm not super tech or anything. I, I've had to learn all this and I don't know a lot. And, you know, people have different skills that if they want to offer to help. Uh, that'd be great. You know, I've, all our labor, you know, is me and then a lot of people volunteering their time. Anything specifically you're looking for right now that's well, and I will also the political connections and NSA, anybody in the government or that would have access to knowing it, any kind of documentation that they, the NSA was actually tracking Silk Road would be super helpful. I know that's pretty esoteric, but, um, but uh, political connections. And um, I don't know, I, it just very tech ability, video editing ability, social media ability, and even just liking us and sharing and, and uh, on social media and that kind of thing helps us too. You're helping us by having me on, you know, it's just spreading the word and seeing the bigger picture. It's a bigger picture. Well, you're helping me too. Good. (laughs) I really appreciate your time. Is there anything I've not covered today that you would want, you know, any questions I've not asked that you wish I had have asked because I feel it's, this is such an important subject. Oh, it's nice. Um, I know I always try to tell people we're at a tipping point in history. And I know there's a lot of sensationalism and stuff around this case. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, some of it, some people feel. Uh, but it's really not about Ross. And, and it's really not about a website. It's become much bigger. And I've gotten to see that we're at a tipping point in history. Which way are we going to go? We're in the digital age. And they're trying to apply 20th century law to the 21st century. And in the process, they're shredding our constitutional protections. And um, they, meaning the United States government, and um, this is very alarming. Has it got worse under the current government? Is there any difference? It was bad under, it's been bad. I, I think it's, I don't, I don't know that it's gotten worse. I think that it's just, and I don't even know that it has to do with who's president. Right. I uh, think that it's something that, I mean, the NSA, for example, they've been around a long time. They're mm-hmm. entrenched. Yeah. There's a lot of entrenched bureaucracy that's, uh, it's just there, you know, and it's, but I do think the whole criminal justice system and the prosecutorial system is pretty much out of control. And that's been under, as far as I know, the previous administration. This administration is ramping up the, the um, rhetoric for sure. Death penalty for I've drugs. seen it for drugs. More violence in this this thing. It's that's like, like what's happening in the Philippines. And it doesn't work. Yeah, and it doesn't work. Yeah. It'll just make it more violent. It's just crazy. But um, so, you know, uh, but... Uh, 
I think, you know, we have to decide just with privacy and freedom in general, are we going to go, there's so much innovation that can happen. There's so much that can happen for good. Are we going to take that road or more government intrusion and, and uh, control? Because I really think that the government wants to control the internet as well. And, you know, privacy yeah. on the internet, they said, the prosecution said in their motion, anyone who uses Tor has criminal intent. They said that or something along, you know, basically that was the gist. I'm like, dissidents use Tor. Journalists. Uh, journalists in use Iran Tor. Use Tor. Lots of people. Journalists use in Tor. Syria use Tor. Lots of they people don't use like Tor. Tor. But Even they, though they invented it. They invented it. Tor, right? <laughs> yeah, so, this is the irony. And some thing. people said they're controlling it now. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to say, but they didn't openly, you know, they, they said that. I don't, I was just like, whoa. This is why it's kind of interesting in the crossover with, you know, I said to you, I'm not really going, like, my podcast is about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but this is an important story in the history of Bitcoin, but but the interview isn't about Bitcoin. But it seems to be almost the... We're at a time now where the growth of cryptocurrency seems to be relevant and related to what is happening uh, with privacy, with NSA, with Snowden, with Assange, with everything. Well, now we know the NSA was tracking Bitcoin users. Yes. So that certainly ties it in. A freedom of money at a time where... Rampant national debt. Uh, we've got changes to internet laws. It's everything seems to be converging at once, and it's going. It's it's very. It's accelerating. It yeah. seems like. Do you have hope? <laughs> um, I do. I've well. I've hope for Ross. I have hope. I'm worried. I won't deny that. And I wouldn't. I don't even know if I would say I'm optimistic. Although I want to be. I, but I. I think there's always hope. Uh-huh. And I do feel like the spirit of freedom is within people and that I, I, I have hope. Yes, I do. It seems, again... I don't think it's hopeless. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I'm afraid we're sliding down a very slippery slope to it. Yeah, and it, it seems... I'm not sure on the word to use, but Ross created something originally which was about freedom yeah. and has had his freedom taken away. Yes, um, it seems a very interesting kind of battle line that's being drawn between those who want to take freedom away and those who want to give it. I think that's what it boils down to, actually. People who want to be free and left alone and people who want to control people. I'm kind of seeing the world dividing up that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> with you. Okay, so how can people get in touch and who do you want to hear from? I don't want people <laughs> to pester you, but... No, 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 I don't ever feel that way. Um freeross.org has our uh, contact it, on the take action page. There's a contact. There's also an address you can write Ross. Um, but uh, I, my email's up there. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And uh, no, I, I, it's, and also anything that people send want to encourage Ross, we print it out and send it to him. Okay. means uh, a lot to him. Is there anything you'd like to add to uh, this at the end? Yeah, Any final thoughts? I think we've really, yeah, I think it's been a great interview and um, I think we've covered there was a bunch we didn't cover. Do you know what? Oh. It's, uh, I had this kind well, of structure of things I wanted to go through, well, but then, you know, I can. wanted to ask a lot about uh, uh, Ross. But do you know what I think I'd like to do? I'd like to do this again with you sometime. Okay. No, I've been happy to talk to you. Thank you you've so great. much. Oh, yeah. though, thank you so much. No, very, very nice. Anyway, you're the only person who's ever given me flowers for an interview. And, you know, that, <laughs> especially because <laughs> well, it was my birthday yesterday. Well, yeah, I didn't know it was your birthday <laughs> no, no, yesterday. You that was yeah. a coincidence. And yeah, it's just because it's Ross's. And that's I, so I, sweet. And I couldn't buy, you know, Ross a present. And, um, yeah, it's very nice. I went to get, it's funny, I was going to get, uh, I, 
wanted went to get coffee this morning uh-huh. in a place across there. Yeah. And it was a coffee shop and a florist. Oh, there you go. So I managed to get coffee and flowers <laughs> at the same time. But no, Lynn, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Take care and all okay. the best. Thanks. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that show. It's obviously a very important story. It's a very personal story to me. I've got to know Lynn very well over the last few years, and I'm a big supporter of her cause. I do want to thank my sponsors. Firstly, Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin. Consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange, Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, BlockFi, the future of financial services, earn up to 8.6% with BlockFi interest accounts. And with a BlockFi loan, you can borrow money at rates as low as 4.5%. You can keep hold of your Bitcoin and free up some cash. And with BlockFi's credit card on the way, you will be able to earn a 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every purchase. Accounts are easy to set up, flexible and secure. You can find out more at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, if you want to support the show, please do leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe. You can follow me on social media and you can share this with your friends and family. And if you have any questions about this show, do feel free to reach out to me. My email address is peter at defiance.news.